Amen. Thank you, girls. I can remember over 40 years ago when that, when that song was written. For those of you that don't know anything about it, it was written by Mylon Lefebvre. He was a teenager back then. A teenage boy wrote that song, and what a blessing it is. Okay, please pray for Brandon Humphrey, the son of, uh, I think this is Oveta, a CNA who works at Sarah Care. Uh, I think this is where Diane goes. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't read that really. But he was shipped to Iraq this last week, so, well... Some of us know what it's like for a family to get that news that your loved one's going to Iraq or Afghanistan, and it's not uh, not a pleasant thing. So please remember that family in prayer. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians, chapter number 4. With a few interruptions from time to time, I've been preaching messages from the book of Ephesians now for a few months, and we'll be back in this, by the way, tonight. And you'll probably notice that I've skipped over a verse, and uh, don't be alarmed, we'll get to it this evening. We'll look at verse number 30, but this morning, I want to read verse 31 and verse 32, and I want to speak to you today about a new way of living. A new way of living. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. This entire chapter is devoted to us being what we are. Being what we are. And when I say that, I'm talking about Christians naturally. The first three chapters of this book has to do with who we are and what we have in Christ. And in this chapter, Paul is narrowing it down and focus on us as Christian people being who we are. And over and over again, we're told to put off our old manner of life and to, and to put on the new. And he uses the picture of garments. And he says, put off the old garments, put on the new garments. Now, please understand, this is not the old life improved. That's reformation. We're talking about regeneration and what happens after that. So it's not the old life improved, it's the old life discarded and the new life being displayed. And in the verses I just read, Paul points out three things that I want to call your attention to. First of all, in verse 31, notice 
He speaks about the vices that are to be avoided. Vices to avoid. But notice before we look at these, notice that phrase, to put away, he says. Put away. That phrase comes from one Greek word that means to raise up or to lift up. And in the nautical sense, it's a word that was used in in reference to raising the anchor of a ship so it could set sail. And a lot of times we have things holding us back and dragging us down, and the idea is to get rid of those things, raise them up, get rid of them so they don't impede our progress. It also means to take upon oneself or to bear. In other words, that would have to do with the responsibilities that we are to deal with. It means to bear away or to carry off. We might say today to make a clean sweep, to get rid of it, get these things out of our life. So let's consider now the various vices that he mentions, first of all. He speaks about bitterness, get rid of all bitterness. Well, it's easy to see that that could be a sermon all to itself. Bitterness. Paul deals with that over in the book of Hebrews. At least I believe Paul is the author of that book. And he speaks about the fact of bitterness. He said that we're not to let a root of bitterness springing up within us trouble us and defile many. Oh, there's a lot of bitter people today. And they won't come right out and admit it, but it shows on their face. And and you can see it in their attitude. They are just bitter about life. And they're troubled by it. And... Consequently, many others are affected by it. He says, get rid of all of the bitterness. Now, notice there in Hebrews, it talks about the root of bitterness. That root is the part that's underground, the part that you can't see. In other words, I think what Paul is saying, you deal with it then before it becomes a full-fledged problem, before it springs up and begins to grow and becomes obvious to everyone. There might be someone here this morning and You have a problem with bitterness. Others yet cannot detect it. They can't see it yet, but it's there, and you know that root of bitterness is there. Listen, right now is the time to deal with that, not later on. Don't wait until the damage has been done. Don't wait until you do something that you can't undo to start dealing with it. Now's the time. Get rid of the root of bitterness. And then notice he mentions wrath. Now, all of these words are closely related. This word wrath speaks about hot anger or passion. It's a word that would use to describe something that is boiling up or something that is inflamed or literally glowing, we might say. The old timers would say, he's as mad as an old wet hen. Well, that's what he's talking about, that kind of wrath, mad as an old wet hen. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of wrath. Then he moves on to the word anger. And this particular word anger in the Greek is a word that was used in reference to vengeance. And it also implies that there is a passionate outburst of rage. I mean, somebody has done something to anger you, and now you're putting it in words and you are in a rage as a result of it. And then he moves on to the word clamor. This speaks about bawling. It speaks about an outcry, a war cry, a loud weeping and wailing and crying and noisy shouting. 
And so now we've moved from that bitterness to a full-blown argument here. Put away the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, and then notice he says, and get rid of all of the evil speaking. This would have to do with blasphemy or slander. In other words, the worst form of verbal abuse. There's a lot of men that could brag about the fact that they've never laid a hand on their wife, they've never hit them, they've never physically abused them, and yet they talk to them like they're a dog. They verbally abuse them. They put them down at every opportunity. And I want you to know right here and now, your heart's not right with God or you'd never treat your wife or any woman that way. He says we're to get rid of all evil speaking. It should be easy for all of us to see how harmful these things are. When the flesh is in control, arguments are going to ensue and relationships are going to suffer. And that's why he says, now notice how he sums this up. He says, but he says, put away from you all of these things, in other words. And then notice the addition of these words, with all malice. It's kind of like saying, in case you miss what I'm saying, he says, put away everything related to malice. And the word malice means wickedness or depravity or malignity. And all five of the things that we just mentioned are all forms of malice. And Paul is telling us that these things have no place in the life of a Christian. Get rid of them. Put them off. Just as you would an old soiled garment that would spoil your appearance. Paul is saying get rid of all of these things. So, we have these vices that we are to avoid. But notice then, he moves on to the virtues of adornment. Virtues of adornment. In other words, he's turning from the negative to the positive. He's turning from the vices to the virtues and notice how this begins. Look at the word be. You might want to underline that in your Bible, be. Greek scholars tell us that the idea and the tense of that word and so forth, the idea here is to be becoming. Be becoming. Put off those other vices, and he's about to mention some, some virtues, and he says be Becoming. Remember, I said at the very beginning that Paul has been speaking about us being who we are. We're Christians. We're blood-bought children of God. We're to be who we are. But notice here, he's talking about a process. Be becoming. By the way, as long as you're here on this earth, you're going to be in the process of becoming. None of us will ever arrive at full-fledged Christ-likeness in this life. It's impossible. We cannot achieve total likeness to Jesus Christ in this life. Aren't you glad that God is reasonable? Aren't you glad that God remembers that we are but flesh? And even when we fail, God abides faithful. So God understands that although perfection is our goal, we're not going to achieve it in this life. But listen, we ought to be making progress toward that all of the time. In other words, we ought to be growing. That's why you folks that have been around a while have heard me over and over again give my description of someone that's backslidden. You are a backslider the minute that you stop growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You're a backslider. You might not be robbing banks. You might not be doing a lot of evil things as we would think of. But when you stop making progress spiritually, when you cease to grow, then you're in a backslidden condition. We ought to never come to a standstill in our Christian life. It should always be the process of us becoming what God would have us to be. So think about that. Now, what are we becoming? Well, notice how Paul described it earlier in righteousness and true holiness. So we're to be making progress in those areas. Now, Paul gives us three examples of this. He mentions three virtues that should characterize the life of every Christian. Notice what he says. First of all, he says, be kind one to another. Boy, I'll tell you, kindness is a rare thing today. Amen? We live in a world that is corrupt, that is cruel, that's confused. And the Bible says we're to be salt and we're to be light. Well, what does that mean? It means that we are to be impacting the world around us. If we're going to do that, then we must be kind. That word kind means fit. It means to be useful mild or pleasant as opposed to that which is hard, harsh, and sharp. And so that ought to be the characteristic by which each and every one of us is known. That, though I'll tell you what, though so-and-so is really a kind Christian gentleman or, or lady. Lehman Strauss, one of my favorite authors, said, he said, the word kind comes from such words as kin and kindred, so that to deal kindly with others is to deal with them as our own kin. And after all, believers are brethren. Well, <laughs> he's right. But sometimes that's the problem, because sometimes we're more kind to everybody else than we are our own family. And it shouldn't be that way. In reality, though, we are to treat other people as we treat our own relation, our own family, our own friends. But the Bible takes us way beyond that, and it tells us we're to even be kind to our enemies. Now, if you think you're doing really good in the progress of your Christian life, you stop and think about that. You may be kind to your neighbors. You may be kind to your fellow church members. You might be fine to your family. But what about your enemies, those that, that have set themselves in opposition against you? Now, you say, well, that just seems totally unreasonable to me. No, listen, it's not unreasonable at all when you consider that kindness is our response to the grace of God that's been shown to us. And so we could define kindness as us treating others the way that God treats us. So the question is, is that what you're doing? Is that what you're doing? Are you treating others as God has treated you? We are never more like God than when we are kind toward those that don't deserve it. Here's the wonderful thing. Any Christian can do this. Any Christian can't play the piano. <laughs> I can remember years ago, I've always, since I was a kid, wanted to play a musical instrument and never could. 
I can remember as a little kid, Dad, we'd sit around in the evenings and Dad would play the old harmonica. And I always wanted, he'd never let me have his harmonica. He was afraid I'd ruin it. But he said, you know, anybody that can hum a tune can learn to play a harmonica. Finally, finally the time came whenever I, I, I finally got a little old harmonica and I about blew my brains out and I never did learn how to play harmonica. So I thought, well, I'll try the guitar. Bev and I got married. We went out to an auction. That used to be one of our favorite things to do, to go to the old-timey auctions. And they auctioned off a guitar. I don't know. I gave 2 or $3 for it, something like that. Took that guitar home, got some new strings for it, and bought one of these books that tell you where to put your fingers and all of that. <laughs> and, and, and so I was smart enough to, you know, learn, you know, for A or B or whatever you put your fingers there. I learned that. But then I didn't know when to change. So Bev sat down at the piano, the same piano, by the way, that Kathy still has, that old winter piano. She sat down there and she, she, she'd say, now, is, tell me which one's lower and which one's higher. And she'd hit a note and she'd hit, hit another one. No, I don't I know. I can't tell. She said, well, no wonder you can't play the, the guitar. You're tone deaf. You don't know whether it's up or down. Why didn't somebody tell me that before I got all these calluses and blisters on my fingers? I mean... So, so what I'm saying is not everybody can play the piano. Not everybody can sing. And there's a lot of different things that, that everybody can't do. But the one thing we all can do is to be kind. Everybody can do that. And the great thing about it is we can do it in a lot of different ways. We can do it through our words. We can do it through our works. We can do it through our ways. So all of us can keep this commandment, be ye kind one to another. And then he moves on to the next virtue, which he says, and be what? Tender-hearted. Now, I know you're going to laugh at this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I'm going to give you a description of this word, tender-hearted. In the Greek, it is a compound word that means well plus bow. In other words, it means having strong, healthy bowels. That's the literal meaning of the word. Now, you're scratching your head thinking, what in the world has that got to do with living the Christian life? Well, what you need to understand is, in ancient times, that word bow, and in fact, all of the internal organs were used in reference to our inward person, that is, our emotion, our feeling, our intentions. And that's why we talk about our heart, you know. Our heart, with all of my heart, you know, I, I, I love you. And you could just descriptionally say, with all of my bowels, I love you. I mean, with all that is within me. And that's the way the word was used. And the idea here, here is that we are to be well disposed in our inward feelings of love and pity and sorrow concerning other people. So the question is, how do you feel about others? Are you really tender-hearted toward others? The Bible says that we are to weep with those that weep, and we are to rejoice with those that rejoice. The question is, is that what we do? 
somebody's rejoicing and all of a sudden, you know, they got a raise or they get a new car or they get a new home or, or something and they're rejoicing. Can you rejoice with people like that? You, you know, most folks, instead of rejoicing with them, <laughs> if they tell how they really felt, they're jealous of them. They're angry about it. How do you feel about others? Do you weep when they weep? Do you rejoice when they weep? Are you tender-hearted toward others? Are you kind one to another? And then notice, he moves from that to this next one. He says, and forgiving one another. This is a subject that could occupy our time for literally for hours. And this constitutes one of the greatest needs in our churches today. And we need to give it serious consideration, forgiving one another. I said earlier that we live in a world that is corrupt and cruel. What does that mean? How does that translate? If the world is corrupt, if the world is cruel, then what? Then we're going to have conflict. There are going to be conflicts. You can't get around it. There are going to be conflicts in life. There will be conflicts in your marriage. You can't escape that. There are going to be conflicts at school, conflicts on the job, conflicts in the church. There are conflicts everywhere. And we better learn how to forgive people or we're always going to be in trouble. We need to learn to forgive. And that, that implies that we are benevolent, that we're kind that we're gracious, that we're willing to pardon, that we're willing to give, that we're willing to freely bestow upon others. The word forgiveness implies the releasing of a debt. Instead of holding something over somebody's head, thinking to yourself, I'm going to get even with them if it's the last thing I do. I've got to tell you, it might be the last thing you do because God might kill you. Amen. You better be careful about trying to get even with other people. That's not your business. God says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Leave that to Him. He'll take care of that. You don't need to try to get even with anyone. So Paul says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. The problem is most of us have a problem when it comes to this matter of forgiving other people. We just don't do a very good job at that, do we? Warren Wiersbe wrote these words. Listen carefully. He said, An unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground, and before long it becomes the Christian's battleground. If somebody hurts us, either deliberately or unintentionally, and we do not forgive him, then we begin to develop the bitterness within which hardens the heart. We should be tender-hearted and kind, but instead we are hard-hearted and bitter. Bitterness in the heart makes us treat others the way Satan treats them, when we should treat others the way God has treated us. Is it that good? Aren't you glad that God is gracious? Aren't you glad that God is willing to forgive? Listen, we don't do this for their sake. Maybe you're thinking, preacher, you don't know how much they hurt me. No, I don't. I don't understand it. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know this. No offense that anybody ever committed against you is anywhere near as bad as the offense that you committed against God. 
What you did is much worse, and yet God forgave you. You don't do it for their sake. And you don't even do it for your own sake, although you'll benefit from it. That's not the reason to do it. You do it for Christ's sake. So Paul says, get rid of these vices like an old filthy garment. Get rid of those things. Don't let those things stay in your life. And like a new garment, put on these virtues because these virtues all reflect the image of Christ. That brings us down to the last thing that Paul mentions here. We have the vices, we have the virtues But I want you to notice the vision, the vision that's announced. Now, notice the words here, God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That'd make a wonderful sermon to just talk about that. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Just think about that one word for a little while, you. We're nothing but the scum of the earth. The very best among us are rotten to the core. And yet God forgave us. That is just so amazing, it just boggles the mind to think that God could and would forgive us. So he says, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. But our text says more than that. I want you to notice the other words that I did not mention. Even as. Now you have a challenge. Uh, To just look at those first words, he's telling us here that this is a statement of fact that God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. That's a statement of fact. It's a glorious fact. But when he uses these words, even as, now we have a challenge. And that's why I refer to this as the vision. Because every believer should have a vision of growing in Christ's likeness to the point that we can forgive others just like the Lord forgave us. I mean, how can we do otherwise? How can we, who have been the recipients of the Lord's love and His forgiveness, how in the world can we turn around and not forgive somebody else? Jesus dealt with this over in Matthew chapter number 18. This is a remarkable story that Jesus tells that illustrates exactly what we're talking about. And here in Matthew chapter 18, we find a man described as the unmerciful servant. Verse 25, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take into account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Now, somebody translated that into dollars today, and someone come up with the figure that's about ten million dollars in today's money. But for as much as he had not to pay, the Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, man, you're in a bad fix when something like that's about to happen, right? The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. 
You've got to be kidding. A servant, listen, if he'd lived ten lifetimes, he could have never repaid that debt. But he said, if you'll just be patient, I will pay you everything eventually. He's promising to do something that he can't do, but he's desperate. And then the Lord of that servant, notice, was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Wow, awesome. I'm out of debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. That was about twenty dollars. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but rather cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Wait a minute. He just got through promising to do something that he could not possibly do. And yet he was forgiven a debt of something like $10 million. And now one of his fellow servants, not a superior, just a fellow servant, owes him $20. And this man is begging and pleading for his life, so to speak. And he refused. And what did he do? He had him committed to prison. He incarcerated him. Listen, how in the world could he ever pay the debt if you put him in prison? He's not making any money there. He can never pay the debt. Do you understand the picture here? He put that man in an impossible situation. And a lot of times, whenever we have those that have offended us in some horrible way, what they did was terrible. It was awful. And by virtue of the fact that we refuse to act like a Christian and forgive them, we put that person in an impossible situation, especially if they're not saved. Remember the old saying, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read? People are going to sit in judgment of Christ based on what they see in you. And if we're not willing to forgive others, they're not going to see anything of Christ in us. It's this serious, folks. We don't have any right to call ourselves a Christian and expect other people to believe us when we're not willing to forgive. In fact, you can't even worship God until you are willing. We started this morning by singing that chorus, Come, now is the time to worship. No doubt had someone stopped you this morning on your way to church and said, Where are you going? Uh, you, you might have responded, well, we're going to church. And had they said, well, why are you going to church? You said, we're going to worship. I want you to know right now that you're going to fail to do that. I don't care how lovely you sing. I don't, hear, you know, I don't care how well you can play a musical instrument. I don't care how much money you put in the offering. I don't care what else you do. If you've got bitterness and envy and strife in your heart towards someone else, you cannot possibly worship God this morning. 
Remember what Jesus said there in Matthew chapter number 5? He said, you know, whenever we bring our gift to the altar, He said, and there we remember that our brother hath ought against us. In other words, there's some sort of conflict, hard feelings going on. And He even takes this to the extreme. Notice He didn't even say, if you've got hard feelings toward Him, but rather He hath ought against you. But there's some kind of conflict. And He says, leave your gift at the altar. And He said, go. In other words, he's simply saying, you just forget about this worship stuff and you go and you first be reconciled with that person and then after that you can come back and worship me. So how is it with you this morning? Do you have a vision of becoming the kind of person that's described here in these verses? I mean, is that your vision? Is that your heart desire? Is that what you want? You want to be like Christ and you want to reflect these virtues? Or are you content just being as you are? I wondered this morning what it would take for you to get in a spiritual condition that you could actually really truly worship God. It might be... It might be that some of you would need to leave the building and go somewhere else uh, and be reconciled. Uh, a friend of mine, Buddy Griffin, had sent me uh, some material this last week about, uh, about the prayer ministry. And uh, as I was thumbing through it, I noticed that uh, there was a little article there that Buddy was talking about. He said, uh, uh, me and, he said, me and my father are best buds. And he told the story about his 90-year-old father who was in a nursing home, by the way. And I'm not going to reiterate all of the story, but Buddy uh, told about the fact that it really deeply troubled him that, that his dad, all of those years, had never hugged him, never said, I love you. By the way, it was the same with me and my dad. And way back then, the men just, men didn't do that. If their attitude was, oh, you know I love you. But it really troubled Buddy, and he got up and he went to the nursing home and confronted his dad, and they got all of that resolved. And they hugged and expressed their love for each other. Before the next service, folks, there are some of you right here, no doubt. You need to go somewhere. You need to go to some person. And you need to do everything in your power to be reconciled to that person. And the fact of the matter is, some of you don't even need to leave this building, maybe. Maybe you just need to go to your husband or to your wife or your children or some of you kids that are so perturbed at your parents, so disrespectful of your parents, so unappreciative of your parents. You can't worship God. Before this service is over, you ought to go to them. and You ought to make that right with them. So, again, the question, are you content to be just exactly what you are? Or do you have this vision in your heart that I want to be like Christ? And if you really want to be like Christ, understand that it begins with receiving Christ. It begins by you receiving God's forgiveness. You can't be anything like Christ until, first of all, the living Christ is living in you. 
But that's not all. Even though you are a born-again believer and you're on your way to heaven, you'll never be able to fulfill this vision unless you do the things that's going to promote spiritual growth. There are people that wonder, why do I have such a hard time in forgiving people? Why do I have all of this bitterness, this anger that's in my heart? Why do I have such a hard time in extending kindness to people? Why, why is it such a problem in my life? You haven't opened the Bible in a month. You haven't read God's Word. You haven't fed upon it. You haven't been nourished by the Word of God. You haven't bent your knee in prayer. When you neglect the discipline set forth in the Bible, you'll never become the disciple that God would have you to be. You, you see, this, folks, this stuff's not automatic. Just because you get saved doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're, you're going to start being what you ought to be. You see, God expects us to exercise our will. And you'll notice whenever he says, put off these vices, and he says, put on these virtues, do you know what he's saying? He's saying, you've got a responsibility. Now, you can't do it without God's help, but God's not going to do it without your effort. Can you imagine what a wonderful change it would make in your marriage if you just learned to forgive? Some folks don't know how to have a good argument. There's always going to be conflict. I argue with my wife more than anybody on earth because I'm with her 24 hours a day and sure we, we have disagreements. Somebody spoke about marriage as being kind of like, you know, flying on an airplane. And the pilots tell us, you know, that the reality of it is when you're going from point A to point B on an airplane, you're actually off course about 90% of the time. I mean, they zig and they zag, a gust of wind, you're off course, and you, you what? What do you make adjustments? You get back on course. And the reason some marriages end up in a divorce court is because people are not willing to forgive. They refuse to make the adjustments that are needed to keep their marriage on track. And I'm not talking just about marriages. I'm talking about every area of our life where relationships are involved. And this morning, if you have bitterness in your heart, this morning, if you're just refusing to forgive someone, listen, you need to deal with that today. And if you're unsaved, it begins by receiving God's forgiveness. And for those that are saved, it begins for you by appropriating what God's provided. And what a difference it would make, not just in your family, but in your entire circle of friends. I mentioned here a while back, and I'll say this and I'll be through. I mentioned, you know, a lot of times from experience over the years, a preacher can just tell. He doesn't know what it is, but a preacher can just tell there's something something hindering the working of the Holy Spirit in the church. There's something holding back the blessings of God. 
Let me tell you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your situation, if you're a member of the church, whatever you do as a member in that body, whatever you do has an effect on the entire body. Do you realize that as a husband or a wife, if there's a conflict going on between the two of you, it's going to hinder the church as a whole? By the way, Peter said it's going to hinder your prayers. You can't even pray right if you're in the middle of a marital conflict. If we don't learn to forgive, ultimately it leads to our destruction. I don't know what word to use better than that. It'll be your demise. And how in the world can we not forgive somebody else? When God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Let's stand, Father. How we thank You for the assurance of forgiveness. To know today that there's not one blot on our record. To know that our sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west. They've been cast into the depths of the sea and hid behind your back to be remembered no more. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. Lord, help us to be willing to forgive others, to be kind to others, enable us to reflect those virtues that will cause others to see Jesus living in us. For it's in His name we pray. Now as we stand and as we sing this morning, do you have that vision or are you content with being just like you are? Will you deal with it while we sing? Think about what you're saying. If He has His way, somebody will be forgiven. If He has His way, we'll all be kind. bow our heads. Kathy, just play softly through another verse. You know, the devil will do anything within his power to keep us from dealing with the problem areas of our life. And if God's speaking to your heart this morning, listen, you don't have to say anything to me. But maybe you need to come this morning just on your knees saying, Lord, you know what's going on and you know I can't do this without you and I really need your help. 
Maybe you need to walk across the room to some brother or sister in Christ and just say, would you please forgive me? Maybe this morning you need to come and resolve in your heart to demonstrate the same sort of kindness to others that God has shown toward you. Thank you so much for your attention. Brother Rex, God's be, would you word our prayer as we close the service this morning? God bless you.